as many of you know, I love to read. And I read on I read on a variety of things. Because the story for this week's sermon features perfume, I thought I would read all about that. And it's really amazing what a technical science it is. It's incredible. The book I started with was a 220-some page brick about the history of the world's most famous perfume, Chanel No. 5. I read all about its history. I read about Coco Chanel, in whose honor I'm wearing the, the little black dress because she invented that. I learned about how she grew up in a convent where the smell of clean things were always in the air. Uh, scrubbed copper dishes and clean linen. I read about the chemist who put together the formula for Chanel No. 5 and how he was trying to capture the smell of a trip he had taken up to the Arctic Circle, where everything smells so fresh and bright. I read about how Chanel No. 5 was the most prized, the most prized French souvenir for all of the GIs in World War II, not just on the American side, but on the German side while Paris was occupied. And all of these soldiers would wait in line to get this treasured perfume to bring home to their girlfriends and wives. They all wanted to bring the smell of Chanel No. 5 home to their girls. Some to, somewhere around page 157, 158, I don't know, somewhere in there, I realized that I didn't know what Chanel No. 5 actually smelled like because I'd never smelled a bottle of it. Think about it, reading a whole book on this one perfume without knowing what it smells like. Did I really know the perfume from reading about it? I had knowledge about it, but I did not know the perfume. So I went down to Ulta, which is kind of the Home Depot for women, if you guys are in the dark. They have experts there in every, every kind of beautifying thing. And I smelled a bottle of Chanel No. 5, and it was glorious. I wouldn't wear it, but I really liked it. So what I'm getting at here is that it's so easy for us to study and get ourselves in a lot of religious activity that we don't focus on actually knowing Jesus. In your bulletin, you will find the scripture that we're in today, which is Mark 14. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. These chief priests and teachers of the law were doing all the right things, as we see them. They knew about the festivals. They had all of this experience with celebrating the Passover, but they somehow didn't catch that while they were looking forward to the celebration of the Passover, they were plotting to kill the very one who the Passover was about. 
They were more interested in religious appearances than in actual worship. Whether Jesus had been the Messiah or not, what does it say when someone is devout, devoutly doing all the right religious activities, but has murder in their heart? Worship is not just religious activity. Just like reading about Chanel number no. five is not knowing the perfume. So after we have this grim scene of the religious leaders wanting to kill Jesus, we see a different, we see a different um, scene unfolding here in Mark 14, where Jesus is in one of his favorite places to be, in Bethany. This is the home of Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and apparently this guy named Simon, who we don't hear mentioned anywhere else in the Gospels. But it's a very home-like place to him, a very comforting place. And it says here, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. I did what research I could on this perfume, and apparently it had what is called a very musky scent. It can't be shut out once it's open. Musk perfume actually has three layers to it. There's some floral or aldehyde overtones. Aldehyde is some synthetic scent particles they discovered way back in Chanel's time. There's a middle layer that lasts a couple of hours after you spray it. But then there's the bass tones, the bass notes, which are the, which are the ones that linger the longest on the skin. And it's all you can smell after, after a while. Well, spikenard was in that layer of bass notes. You can't run away from it. It doesn't fade easily. And there would have been no mistaking the scent, no running away from it. This is a perfume that makes its presence known. But to do it, this woman had to break the box. And there probably was nowhere to break it but the floor. So she probably had to smash this thing on the floor, pick up the broken bottle, and then anoint Jesus with it. If she had left this jar intact, she couldn't have worshipped Jesus in this way. And us... We are very similar to a jar of perfume. We have beautiful things about us that can be unlocked only through brokenness and tragedy. Things that we can offer up to God. Worship involves brokenness. We all have brokenness because we all grew up in a world full of sin. If anyone here doesn't think they're broken, I would advise you to look that over again. Some of our brokenness comes from guilt over things we have done or not done. Some of our brokenness comes from grief, a word I know very well myself. Some of our brokenness, some of our brokenness comes from painful things that others have done to us in the past. 
We all have a dark side, whether we show it or not. The question is what we do with it. Do we try to sweep it up and put it in a corner? Or do we offer that brokenness up to God? I would like to recommend that we cannot worship God until we accept our brokenness and offer it up to him. Now this is all very well and good, this beautiful metaphor, but there's the voice of reason that comes onto the scene. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. There, there are some Christians who think that just because you're a Christian, you can't have nice things. That we have to live in voluntary poverty to sacrifice for the gospel. And there's something to that. But here's the scandal of what the woman did. She treated the perfume as perfume. She actually... You've got to see that they did not have retirement accounts or savings accounts in the ancient world. Instead, people would purchase luxury items as an investment against the future. The same thing happens here in Los Angeles. You see in China, they can't have retirement accounts either, so they buy up houses and apartments here in Los Angeles to sell later on to provide for their retirement. So what she was doing was basically smashing her 401k, if you can imagine. And of course, everyone's angry because this perfume is expensive. How could you do that? And if you were going to be foolish enough to cash out your 401k, why didn't you give it to the poor? Why do something so crazy as treat perfume like perfume? Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a good or beautiful thing to me. You see, the word in Greek, kalos, which is used here, can mean either good or beautiful. I love the way the NIV renders it as, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Worship is beautiful. And Jesus honored the fact that she had the audacity to treat perfume as perfume, even though it was as, as pricey as her 401k. I have here a picture of Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary because it really shows how our God values beauty and actually enjoying beautiful things for what they're meant to do. Is perfume really meant to be stashed away or to be smelled and sampled and enjoyed? I have him here in his high priestly robes because when God was giving the instructions to the Israelite on the construction of the tabernacle and on what the priests should wear, it wasn't just all symbolism. There were details that, as Exodus says, were just for beauty. For beauty. Our God is a God of beauty. Heaven is a beautiful place, a rich place, a luxurious place. 
made available by the grace of God, not because we deserve it or we paid any price for it. Worship is beautiful. But Jesus has to address the concern they have. What about the poor? The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This week, I also, actually two weeks ago when I was thinking about this sermon, I typed in this passage to a forum on an anime website called Gaia Online that happens to have religion and morality forums. Anyone out there still use forums? Man, I feel old. And I asked, I asked the users of Gaia Online what they thought of this passage. And one of them said they thought Jesus was cashing in after his lifetime of poverty. What an idea. Jesus cashing in. But he does sound a little callous in saying, the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. Well, he's actually quoting directly a verse in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 15:11. For there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. And in the explanation that follows, he shows how he is the poor and needy. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. You see, this is the only time Jesus got anointed for his burial. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea came with tons of spices after the, after the crucifixion to anoint Jesus' body with, but they never finished their work. The women on Sunday brought by all the spices and ointments, but the tomb was empty already. This anointing was the only one that Jesus got. And I love something that Ellen White says about this anointing. She says it would be well for all of us to honor people while they are living instead of after they are dead. Life is so short and fleeting. Do you know why we take pictures? Let's move on to the next slide. Jesus says that what will be done will be told in memory of her. Memory is an interesting thing. Why do we take pictures? So we can remember, so we can capture a moment in time. I went to a wedding. I've been going to a lot of those lately, haven't I? I went to a wedding two weekends ago where the bride's mother had to have the camera pried out of her hands before she walked down the aisle. This woman was the photographer at my own wedding, so I knew that this wasn't her trying to separate herself from anything. She just has the mind to see moments, moments to capture. She has a gift for knowing when to take the shot, to catch a smile on someone's face, to catch a rare handshake, or she has this amazing ability to just 
find moments that other people miss. She had her camera with her at the reception and was snapping it all herself again. I told her, you know, um, are you really on photo detail at your own daughter's wedding? And she said, I just can't help myself. There's so many great shots to get. Jesus promised a much, what happens to our photos after we take them nowadays, though? They stay in the camera, we don't look at them. If you're fortunate enough to have a mother-in-law like mine, they end up going into beautiful scrapbooks that take her months to create. But most of us aren't that lucky. We take pictures of moments, and then we don't remember them until sometime we realize that our camera is out of space and we're forced to look at them to decide what to delete. Lord have mercy. How many times do we go through a worship experience and remember nothing? Nothing. It's like our minds get so full of information that there's no chance to sit and remember. But Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. There are so many pictures that never get seen again. There are so many stories that never get told again. But Jesus gave this woman a gift in making her story immortal. Well, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. The gospel writers weren't just trying, Mark wasn't just trying to end this beautiful story on a downer. I think he put this here as a warning that we could be either the woman with the perfume or Judas looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. We all have the potential to be either one. The question is, which one will we be? Will we give God our brokenness? Will we acknowledge our brokenness and give it to God? Will we embrace the beauty that worship has to offer? Will we hold it in our memories and in our hearts? Or will we get so caught up in making a daily living that we forget that we don't see the beauty in worship? That we get choked up in religious activities that we no longer know why we're doing them? That we develop pride that does not allow us to acknowledge our brokenness and give it to God? That is the question. Judas or the woman who anoints Jesus? Jesus.